Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we continue our look at the book of Psalms, looking today at Psalm 23. And the title of our study today is The Lord is Christ's Shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us to open your word that reveals the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. So Lord, I pray that as we open your word today from this great psalm, Lord, that you would teach us that you are the good shepherd who laid down your life for your sheep that are called by your name, who you've adopted and you know. So we thank you, Lord, for this time that you have given to us. We pray, Lord, and we thank you and know that your word, as Isaiah 55, 11 says, will not return without void. That you, that you use the word in our lives to help us to grow, to be more like Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for the word. And we thank you, Lord, that you use it in our lives to help us to grow, to be more like Christ. We thank you for this great psalm. We pray, Lord, that this psalm would saturate our hearts and our lives as we are about to be pointed from your word to your son, and your son is sufficient. Your work of the son is sufficient. So we thank you, Lord, for your word, and that it is enough for us, for our life, and for our godliness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Hear what the word of the Lord has to say to us today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the reading of God's precious word. Maybe you've read Psalm 23 before and you think, I'm pretty familiar with this passage. Millions of Americans, millions of people have memorized this great psalm. They know it by heart. They know it in tragedy. They know it in difficulty. In fact, we can say this, that if the, Amer the average American knows 
anything about the Bible, they know Psalm 23, especially the opening lines of it that says, the Lord is my shepherd. But Psalm 23 is not just a generic psalm for everyone. Psalm 23 was was written by David about Christ for Christians. And this is a vital place to start as we begin unpacking this great psalm. I already just said that Psalm 23 was written by David. In fact, many of us who love this psalm, they we take the first words of it to mean God cares for me, and I'm so glad that he does. In fact, we immediately take these as our words. But when we read my in verse 1, we notice that David is speaking. In fact, the Bible does say that God's people are all the sheep of his pasture in Psalm 79, 13, and 95, 7. But in Psalm 23, David says that the Lord is my shepherd. And we need to understand why this matters. And to do that, we need to zoom out to the whole Bible. In the ancient world, a king was called the shepherd of his people. Israel thought David was their shepherd. And when David became the king, the people said to him in 2 Samuel 5, 2, the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. And the psalmist said in Psalm 78, 70 through 20, 71, it says that God chose David to shepherd Jacob, his people. David himself was the shepherd of Israel. In Psalm 23, David is also a sheep. The Lord is his shepherd. A great shepherd cares for David. This helps us to understand what Psalm 23, it means historically, what it would have meant to the ancient Israelites. The message was that God cared about their king. And why would this matter to them? You see, by watching over David, God was watching over all of Israel. The life of the people was bound up in their king. When David prospered, the nation prospered. And so Psalm 23 is about God caring for his people by caring for their king. Through David, God himself was a true shepherd and the true king over his people. And this brings us to our second point of by way of introduction to this great chapter. This psalm is all about Christ. David was not only, he was not only a king, he was a prophet. His life and his words, they point forward to none other than Jesus Christ. David spoke for Christ in the opening words of Psalm 22 as he foretold Jesus' own words on the cross. In Psalm 22, verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he also speaks for Christ in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Like David, Christ was both a sheep and a shepherd. As the Lamb of God, Christ trusted his Father with his life, as we see in 1 Peter 2, 23. The Lord is Christ's shepherd. Psalm 23 records Jesus' confidence that God cared for him as he faced death on the cross. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
And in fact, God carried Jesus through death. The word soul in verse 3 can also be translated as life or death. And so Psalm 23 declares Jesus' confidence in the resurrection. He restores my life. God restored the life of Jesus. Christ rose from the dead and was exalted to the right hand of God the Father where he lives, verse 6 says, in the house of the Lord forever. God spread a banquet table for the Messiah in the presence of his enemies, Revelation 19.9 says. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so Psalm 23, we can say, is a summary of the life, the death, the resurrection, and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. In fact, more specifically, it gives us a window into the inner life of our Lord as he faced the cross. Isaiah 53, 7 says, Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. How could he be silent, we must ask, before Pilate? How could he keep from insulting those who insulted him? As the Lamb of God, Jesus trusted his shepherd to carry him through death, into eternal life. Christ is not only a sheep, he's our shepherd. God took on flesh to become a lamb to save us and a king to rule over us. The scripture says in Revelation 7, 17, that the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. In fact, Jesus taught this in John 10, 11 through 15 and verse 27. He said this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. The, the third point by way of introduction to this great psalm is that Psalm 23 is for Christians. And we need to ask the question, how do you know if Jesus is your shepherd? Well, there's two tests. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Do you listen to the word of God? Jesus says in John 10, 27, and they follow me. So do you do what the word of God says? You see, the reason that this is so important is that many people today, they take false comfort from Psalm 23. They believe that God is their shepherd, and yet they do not believe in Christ, and they do not obey the word of God. Now, we're not saying, I'm not saying that you will obey the, the, the Lord uh, for your salvation. But as a result of obeying him, and as a result of God giving you a new heart with new desires and new affections, Jesus says very clearly in the, in the upper room discourse in John uh, 14 and 15, that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Meaning, what is in the word of God. And so if you've been given a new heart with new desires, you have the presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
And what is the Holy Spirit aiming to do? He's aiming to take the truth of Scripture and to drive it home more and more into your life. And furthermore, the Holy Spirit is aiming to take the truth of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And what is he aiming to do? He's aiming to drill the, what, what's called the fruit of the Spirit more and more into your heart, into your life. And many people come to this psalm and they take false comfort and they say, well, the Lord's my shepherd and so these promises are for me. And yet they do not know the Lord. They think if I just do a few more good works, God will love me. And yet what they don't understand is that they don't understand the gospel. The gospel has nothing to do with what I've done. The gospel has to do with what God has done. That's why Jonah 2.9 says that salvation is of the Lord. The Lord had to come. Born as a baby, under the sentence of death, to pay the penalty in our place and for our sin, to be buried and to rise again. Do you believe that? Because this is the witness of the whole Bible. See, none of God's blessings come to us except through Jesus Christ. Christ is a great shepherd for the people of God. If you do not belong to Jesus, God is not your shepherd. But, and yet, if you know Jesus and love him, Psalm 23 is for you. And so Psalm 23 is by David about Christ for Christians. And David describes God's care for us in Christ with two main pictures— First, in verses 1 through 4, we'll see Jesus cares for us as a shepherd. And second, in verses 5 through 6, he cares for us as a host. So first, let's, uh, let's look at the Lord is my shepherd. It's an amazing thought, right, that, that the Lord is our shepherd. In fact, to be a shepherd in the ancient world was one of the lowest of the lowest of jobs. If a family had to shepherd, they would have assigned the youngest son in the family. None of the older brothers would have done it. It was it was the lowest of the low. This is why when Samuel went to anoint David, David was the youngest of eight sons. They had to call him in from <coughs> tending the sheep. Being a shepherd was a 24-7 job. Summer and winter, rain or Sean, you lived with the dirty, the filthy, smelly sheep in the heat of the day and in the cold of the night. No one in their right mind would want to be a shepherd. And yet God loves us so much that he chose to be our shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And so when we read in Psalm 23, verse 1, I shall not want, some people think that God gives us everything that we would ever want to desire. But the idea here is not that God gives us everything that we, we ask for. Rather, he cares for us by giving us everything we need. Sheep are helpless animals left to themselves. They lack everything. A good shepherd knows what they need. If the God of the universe is your shepherd, <coughs> you're going to lack nothing. 
And so we need to ask the question, how does the good shepherd provide for us? Well, David paints a a picture of abundant life in Psalm 23, verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. Philip Keller worked as a shepherd for eight years and recorded his insights in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And when sheep lie down, Keller says, it's because they're safe and they're satisfied. And he said, it's almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Because of their social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they're free from friction with others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free from of these pests can they relax. And lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. And so lying down implies that sheep are free from friction, fear, flies, and hunger. Their shepherd cares for them physically, medically, socially, and emotionally. In fact, finding green pastures is easier said than done where sheep can prosper like this. In fact, if you've ever been to Israel, you you may know, or or you haven't, you may know from pictures that the land is is dry, rocky, set of, of rolling hills covered with sparse and tough grass. And so the only time that the pastures are green like this are in the late winter and spring. Come summer, the grass withers and the fields turn brown in the heat. And so this is a picture of springtime. The still waters are wells and springs where the sheep can drink without being rushed or swept by the strong currents. Our good shepherd cares for us like this. He provides for our physical needs as he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 11, which says, Give us this day our daily bread. God knows what we need, and he has committed himself to provide it for us. In fact, he satisfies our souls and he meets our deepest need. John 10, 10 says, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. He feeds us with the bread of heaven. Jesus says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. and Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Our shepherd also says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In fact, David continues this picture of abundant life saying this in verse three, he restores my soul. And the sense of the word restore (coughs) is to return or even to bring back as a shepherd, Jesus brings his sheep back to God. In fact, this is another way of describing the ministry of the risen Christ in Psalm 22, 27, where the same verb is used for those who return to the Lord. That text says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and the families of the nations shall worship you. And so one of the most beautiful descriptions of Jesus' shepherding work to restore his people is found in the Gospel of Luke, where we read Jesus' parable of the last sheep in Luke 15, 4 through 7, which says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, 
If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Has the good shepherd, we must ask, found you? Can you stay? What verse 3 says, he restores my soul. You may have known, you may know in your heart that you're not walking with the Lord today, that you have wandered far away from him. But the good news today is that you are not alone. Someone is looking after you, and that is the Lord. And when Jesus finds his sheep, what he does is he leads them. They hear his voice. They follow him. Verse 3 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And now there's some debate over the word righteousness here. It could mean righteousness in a moral sense. And so when we follow Jesus as our shepherd, he teaches us to live righteous, godly lives. The word righteousness could also refer to the righteousness of God, that he will do right by his sheep as he leads them. And so one way of paraphrasing this could be this way. The Lord leads me in paths of his righteous paths where he fulfills his obligation to the psalmist and does so in order to maintain his reputation as a covenant-keeping God. And on the other hand, it could mean right paths in the most basic sense. And so our shepherd does not lead us by crooked paths or to take wrong turns. He guides us on straight paths, paths that bring the sheep most directly to the destination. In fact, we don't need to choose one of these meanings over the other. David leaves this phrase, the paths of righteousness, ambiguous because these meanings all overlap real life. The path Jesus chooses for us are right in every sense of the word. We are righteous as we follow him. God is righteous as he keeps his word to us. And, and the road he leads us on is the best, the most direct route from here to our heavenly home. In this way, he is glorified. God's reputation grows as his sheep follow the Lord. And since water and grass can be hard to find in the land of Israel, a shepherd has to be ready to lead their flock on long migrations from one pasture to another. The sheep would not understand why they left a good place to climb up and down ravines as they walk through the wilderness. Where are we going? The ground is rough and there's no water here. And still the shepherd leads on. The sheep don't know where they're going, but he does. He has a good pasture in mind, green grass and still water. Not a single step of this journey is wasted. He leads them by straight paths. And so it is with our lives. So it is with our lives. The Lord leads us. He helps us. He guides us. He's a good, good God. And so it is with our lives. We can look back on our lives and ask ourselves the question, why can't we have stayed where we were? Why are you leading me here, Lord? I don't like this rough ground. I don't like this tough season of life. I'm thirsty. There's no water. And yet our shepherd leads us on to still waters. He knows where we're going. 
He leads us in the straight paths of life. It often may feel like, you know what, my life has no purpose. It, it seems to be going in no direction at all. And so we feel like we're floundering. We're, we're just going nowhere. And yet we need to understand that the Lord knows where we're going. He's a good God. And not only this, he orders all of history, our personal history, all of history. He knows it. He knows the beginning from the end. And not only that, he upholds this world by the word of his power. He knows the length of our days. He knows the thoughts that we have before we even think them. And he knows every hair on our head. And he provides for us. He comforts us. He's not only our good shepherd, but the, the Lord is also, John 15 and 16, tell us that he sent us the comforter. He, he was going away. Remember, he's teaching his disciples in this upper room discourse and starting in John 13, going through John 16 and teaching his disciples about these things. And he told them that he very clearly that he goes away and prepares a place for them. And he's going to send the comforter, the, the Holy Spirit, the parclete, paraclete, who come, one who comes alongside. We know that Jesus is our intercessor, that he's the mediator between God and man. He's our high priest. He's our advocate before the Father. But he also has sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells us because of union with Christ, our union with Christ. And he teaches us the truth from God's word. He convicts us of sin. He points us to the person and to the work of Christ. He gives us good gifts, gifts to serve one another, talents and abilities he helps us. So not only is the Lord our shepherd, but the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And not only is even now Jesus making intercession for us before the Father, but the Holy Spirit in our need comforts us. He helps us. That's an amazing thought. It's amazingly important to remember in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulties of our life, that we have one in Christ who is presently interceding for us. He knows everything that we went through, and yet he never sinned. That is why Hebrews 2 and 4 tell us very clearly that he can sympathize with us in our weakness, and yet he never sinned. What a shepherd we have. And that's our high priest. And still more, we have the Holy Spirit who Jesus promised to send, who has been sent, and who now indwells us at the moment of our conversion. And he helps us. He convicts us. He helps us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received, as Paul states in Ephesians. That is, he helps us to walk the straight paths, the paths that the Lord has ordained 
for us as his own. Nowhere do we need to trust the Lord more than we're face to face with death. As shepherds lead the flocks in search of grass and water, they must pass at times into and through the deep, rugged wadis, dry stream beds cut through the hills by the winter rains. The the air at the bottom of these deep ravines is thick and it's heavy with the heat of the day like canyons. They're covered in the dark shadows as the cliff walls block out the sun. The whole flock had to struggle over rocks and boulders and up the sides of canyons as if the flock is caught in a wadi during a storm, a flash flood could sweep them away to their deaths. To make it worse, wild animals live in the shelter of the wadi, ready to tear the, the sheep to shreds. The shadows of these dangerous canyons are a picture of the terrors and the trials of death. And yet, even when we go through those, the, the real shepherd, the shepherd of our souls is with us. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 4 says, The valley of the shadow of death is as much the shepherd's right path as the green grass and the quiet waters. We know from John 16, that Jesus said that in this world you will experience tribulation. The Christian life is not always peaceful. It's not always easy. The Christian life is full of valleys, and each one of them, each one of us will face the deep valley of death at the end of our lives. In fact, one of the greatest problems that we confront in the valleys of life is fear. We ask the question, is God still in control? And another question, is evil going to harm me? Another question, will I be swept away or torn to pieces by this trial or that trial or by that thing? And this is why Paul told Timothy that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, but of sound mind. The shepherd's presence is the answer to our fear. Jesus himself trusted God the Father through the valley of the shadow of death, and God was faithful to him. Jesus, our shepherd, traveled through the valley of the shadow of death, and God was faithful to him. And he came out triumphant on the other side. We will not fear because our shepherd is with us. Up to this point, David has been talking about the Lord in the second person. In verses 2 through 3, he makes, he leads, he restores, he, he leads. And now to emphasize that God is near, he switches to the third person. You are with me, you prepare, you anoint in verses 4 through 5. You see, Jesus is never closer to us than at the moment of death. He, he is with us. It's easy in the midst of when somebody is dying to fear and wonder what is going to happen. And yet the Lord is with us. This is why we need to be urgent in our abandonment because we do not know the length of our days. We don't know the length of our days. We are not promised today or tomorrow, even the next breath we are not promised. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5 is so important for us because we're, we're told by Paul that we are there to make, we are here 
in this time, in this place of history. And we are to call men and women everywhere to be reconciled to God. Have you been reconciled to this great shepherd? Are you known by the shepherd? Do you hear the voice of the shepherd through the word of God? And do you believe and do you trust in Christ? If you don't, Acts 16.31 is very clear. To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Jesus is never close to us than at the moment of death. And because he's near, we're safe. Disease and destruction can do its worst. We do not need to fear. Our shepherd is armed, his rod, verse 4. It's probably a long club, a sort of mace that, that a shepherd wore on a thong tied to his belt. His staff is a long walking stick. He defends us and he walks with us down the roughest, the toughest of roads. We need a shepherd to care for us because life can get as bad as death. And so we need to ask, how can I be sure that all will be well? How can I be sure that death is not the end? Well, if you're a Christian, you have a shepherd who cares for you. He loves you. He walks with you. If you're, if you're in Christ, you Jesus said in the Upper Room Discourse in John 15 that he's your friend. That you're no longer his enemy, you're his friend. He's taking you, as Paul said in Colossians 1, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have a shepherd who cares for you. And yet, we also need to understand that Jesus is our host. After passing through death, the picture changes to a, a man welcoming special guests to his home. In verse 5 of Psalm 23, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is far better than being a sheep with a shepherd. Jesus welcomes us as friends to sit with him at his table. This is a high a public honor. God will honor Jesus himself in the presence of his enemies, those who mocked him and taunted him, saying what he what it does in Psalm 22, verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And he will honor us publicly with him. Jesus described this messianic banquet in Matthew 8, 11, saying, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The picture of this meal is even better than just good food, though. In the Old Testament world, to eat and to drink at someone's table created a bond of loyalty and fellowship. It could even be the final step of sealing a covenant. David is promising us a close, intimate relationship with our shepherd. Instead of dumb sheep, Jesus calls us his friends in John 15, 15. And as his guest, he will welcome us into the eternal home that John 15 tells us, John 14, excuse me, where Jesus tells us that he goes and prepares a place for us. He's going to welcome us there. That's what Psalm 23 verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the blessing of being in the house of the Lord in verse 6 is, being with the Lord forever. If 
you travel for business, you may stay in hotels nicer than the and have a nicer bed than you do in your own home. Managers do their best to make you feel at home, but you never do. Home is where your family is. Take away the people in a house becomes a sad and an empty place. And the joy of heaven is not mansions or streets of gold. Jesus is the joy of heaven. You'll be home because Jesus is there. And Jesus said this in John 14, 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus was a sheep. God cared for him. He watched over him through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus has walked the road that we are traveling, and yet he never sinned. He's our good shepherd. He guards us. He guides us through all of life, and we will be his honored guests in eternity. No wonder we love this psalm. Maybe today you're, you're going through hard, challenging things. You know, every day I wake up, I remind myself that today is a new day. As Lamentations 3 says, the, the mercies of the Lord are, are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And I'm constantly reminding myself of these things because you know what? There's a lot of hard things. Both of my parents have memory issues. There's going to be a day when they die, and they're thankfully both Christians. But they call it the slow death for a reason. Maybe in your own family, you've, you've had cancer hit your family. My grandfather died of cancer in 2001. My wife's mom died of cancer over, over 10 plus years ago now. And maybe... I have friends whose moms are going through cancer. They're going through treatment. It's heartbreaking. It hurts. And you wonder, in the midst of these types of situations, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? Can, can I tell you something? The comfort, our great comfort, in the midst of the hurt of life, is that the Lord is our shepherd. How do we know this? How do we know that the Lord cares for us? How do we know that all the ways of the Lord are just and good and perfect and righteous? And I would submit to you that the reason that we know those things is because Jesus is our shepherd. You see, Jesus came under the sentence of death to pay the penalty that you and I justly deserve so that we could be forgiven. The very reason, the very design of the incarnation, Jesus being virgin born, was to pay the penalty that you and I justly deserve. What you and I deserve is not forgiveness. What you and I justly deserve is wrath. What you and I deserve is to face the consequences, both here and now and in the future, for our sin. And sometimes in this life, we're going to face those consequences. 
After all, Hebrews does say that God disciplines those whom he loves, and sometimes we must face those consequences. Sometimes more often than we even would admit. But the great hope that we have is that because of what Christ has done, we can be forgiven. Not only now, but forever. And that's what's so scandalous about the gospel. People think, you know what? That just, that just cheapens the point of life because they think that the point of life is all about me. It's all about my pleasure. It's all about pursuing my dreams and my goals. You know, what's interesting is there is a man much like that today in the ancient world. And he said there's nothing new under the sun in Ecclesiastes. And he also said in Ecclesiastes 3 that there's a time and a season for everything under the sun. And, and this man, Solomon, he, he had surveyed everything. And at the end of his life, you know what he said in Ecclesiastes 12, that we are to fear God and keep the commandments of God. And now fast forward to Jesus, one greater than Solomon. And he says to his disciples in John 14 and chapter 15, he tells his disciples to obey his commandments. And I'll say it again to be clear. The reason that we can obey the commandments it's because God takes our heart of stone and he replaces it with a new heart, with new desires and new affections for him, himself. And out of this, this, these new desires, we desire to obey God, to live a life that honors God, that pleases God because of all that God has done. And God holds us fast on account of Christ alone. And he holds us fast now. And he holds us fast until we see him face to face. And he holds us fast even then because without him holding us fast, we'd be lost forever. See how, see how amazing, see how great our shepherd is. This is why the Christian life is one of grace. Grace, the beginning. Grace that brings us from death to life. Grace that, that leads us to repentance in the midst of the folly of our, of our, sin, of our remaining and dwelling sin. Grace to, to lead us to grow, to be more like Christ through our personal study and reading of God's word, grace to help us to conform to Christ so that, so that as we do life with other Christians, we can deal with conflict, we can deal with hardship, and we can bear one another's burdens as we're commanded to in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. And there's grace to lead us home. This is why John Newton is right. That's why that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, is so good news. Such, such a song that, that, and a hymn that resonates with us, right? 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's amazing. And yet this grace is so offensive to our modern ears. Because what we want is we want what we want. We want our own way. And then on the side, we want this shepherd to comfort us. We want to enter into the pearly gates of heaven, but we want to do it on our own terms. Not on the terms of the shepherd. There is no entering heaven without believing and accepting the terms set by the shepherd of our souls. And this is why Jesus said in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to me except by the Father. This is why the apostles preached in Acts 4.12 that there, there is salvation in no one other than in Jesus. That means that the way is exclusive and the way is shut and only by believing in the exclusive and the restricted Savior, King, who has come and bled and died and rose in your place and for your sin, can you enter into heaven and have Jesus himself as your shepherd, both now and forever? And so you might take comfort in this passage, but you, if you do not believe in Christ, you have no warrant to, to take comfort. In this Savior, instead you should fear this, this shepherd. Because he is the one, Revelation 19 says, that, that out of his mouth will come a sword. And he will slay his enemies, those who, are, those who do not believe in him. Just by mere word out of his mouth, his enemies from one end of the battlefield to the next will be utterly obliterated and destroyed. This is also our shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, the one whom the, the, the elders bow down and they worship in Revelation 4 and 5. This is our shepherd king. He is mighty. He is majestic. And the only reason that we can come as Christians before this king is because he bled and died and rose. If we go back to the Old Testament, they couldn't come before God, but once a year and only because the high priest was ritually and ceremonially clean. We know that, that the book of Hebrews tells us that because of Christ, because he has shed his blood in our place and for our sin, we have a once and for all salvation. That what Christ did actually redeems and reconciles people to God. Not because we are so good, not because we merit it, not because we deserve it, but because of what Christ did for us. It's not because of your performance at your job. It's not because you, you padded your bank account and your 401k and, and somehow at the end of your life, you just repented and believed. Now, praise God if you, 
if 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 that happens but we're not promised that that's why the bible again and again tells us that that today that even now is the hour of salvation we're not promised tomorrow we're not promised the next day we're not promised the next moment or even the next second today is a day of salvation now is the hour if you don't know Christ as your shepherd, I plead with you on the basis of Acts 16.31 to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. And to find a church that preaches the word of God line by line, verse by verse, works its way through books of the Bible that loves and cares for people. That's the kind of church where you'll grow and you'll thrive and you can serve the Lord. If you're a Christian today, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of all of the things that seem to be crashing all around you, both in our culture and perhaps in your life, you have your king, you have a shepherd who loves you. In Romans 8.1, he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that God is truly good? that he is your shepherd, that he leads you to still waters, that through the, through the trials, through the difficulty of your life, whatever that is, that the Lord is with you, that he knows, and that even now that, that the Holy Spirit also is there to comfort you. When, when was the last time you called on the Lord? When was the last time you prayed and trusted the Lord? You know, there, there's many days, I'll, I'll be honest, where as we wrap up, there's many days where there's many tears. It's not easy talking to two parents when I call them every week for our weekly call. And some weeks they've had a really bad week. Now, my mom still remembers me. My dad still remembers me. But my dad especially, he has his really rough weeks. And there's tough times. And there's going to be even more tough times. Jesus said in this world, in John 16, you're going to have trouble. Your trouble is going to be different than mine. But you know what? One of my mentors says that God hand-tailors the situation of our lives. And you know what he's doing in those times? He's trying to get you to stop trusting yourself and to start trusting him. You know, even before I recorded this, I had a tough day. And I needed to remind myself, I had to give myself a heavy, strong dose of this message. Reminding myself that the Lord is my shepherd. He cares for me. He loves me. And maybe that's you today, dear Christian. I just want to say to you, like I said to myself, like I often say to myself, the Lord is my shepherd. He cares for me. He loves me on account of Christ. 
He walks with you. He knows you. He's adopted you. He loves you. You're, you're, you're his and he is yours. He intercedes for you. He's your advocate before the Father. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, we, we just want to say we trust you. We know that our times are, are dark and it's so easy to despair, to be discouraged, to be beaten down, to be uh, uh, afflicted, uh, to seem like we're afflicted on every side. And, and yet, Lord, we need this passage. We need Psalm 23 to be reminded that you are a good shepherd and that you love your own and that you've laid down your life for your bride, your beloved. You've, you've given them help from every quarter. You've, you've justified us. You've adopted us. You've made us your own. You've given us a new standing. You've united us by faith in Christ. You've given us and indwelt us the Holy Spirit. You've given us the means of grace. You've given us the local church. You've given us the word of God. What an amazing treasure you have given to us in all of these wonderful and amazing gifts. But even greater than all those things is yourself. You've given us yourself in our place and for our sin. And you were buried and you rose again. What an infinite treasure that is. And you even now are making intercession for your own. You are our advocate, our high priest our mediator between God and man, and we, we love you, Lord. Help us in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of the pain of life, of losing loved ones, of, 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 of uh, even the, from a slow death. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to draw nearer to the Lord to avail ourselves of the means that you have given to us and the help that you've given to us in our local church and, and through friendships with those that love you and treasure you as we aim to do. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit uses your word to comfort us. So, Lord, I, I just pray for my friends that they would draw near, that they would lean in through the hard times, that they would grow, they would grow to be more like you, grow to treasure you through the, through the hardships, through the difficult providences of our lives, and to see you even more honored and glorified as they grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. 
If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org. 